chapter of Acts. We are uh, continuing to look at the first Christian sermon, the first sermon preached uh, in the Christian church, Paul, Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 50 days after the crucifixion, um, after, the, after the Passover, 50 days after the crucifixion, 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven. Holy Spirit was poured out on all 120 believers, and they were empowered by the Spirit to uh, uh, speak the wonderful works of God in languages that they had never heard. And God drew a great crowd through the uh, sound of a mighty rushing wind and the, the sight of a, a column of fire, a pillar of fire, a tongue of fire that was divided and rested on each of them. And God grew, drew this, this crowd to hear the first Christian sermon preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost. And we've been studying this for a number of weeks, and we'll read the entire uh, sermon this morning, and then we will focus on verses 33 through 35 as we looked at, at the exaltation of Jesus Christ to the right hand of the Father, and again, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so that sermon begins in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. We read, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see vision, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, and he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You've made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. He's both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that out of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, 
And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for the ministry of your Holy Spirit to lead us into truth. And Lord, we're thankful that He, your Holy Spirit, inspired Luke to write these words. And you have preserved them for us and brought them to us in the form in which we have them. And Lord, we stand before your word recognizing that it is powerful. Recognizing that it is perfect, that it is sufficient to train us in righteousness that we might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Lord, we confess that that requires the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that Your Word is perfect, our understanding of it is not. And so we are dependent upon Your Spirit to interpret, to illuminate our hearts and minds to the truth, to lead us into truth. Help us understand. Help us, by Your grace, to believe And Lord, help us to demonstrate that belief through our obedience. Lord, help us to have confidence in our exalted Lord, to be able to approach the throne of grace boldly to receive help and mercy in our time of need. Lord, help us to strive for holiness, but knowing that when we sin, we've got an advocate and we can be forgiven. And Lord, help us to seek to be Your people and to go in the power of the Holy Spirit and make disciples and speak the gospel, and speak your truth. Lord, we pray that as we listen to your truth, we would be edified and encouraged, but we also pray that we would be equipped to be your instruments of grace in the life of others. May your Spirit help us to walk in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, we've talked about the fact that this sermon that Peter preached is an expository sermon. He takes three Old Testament texts and exposes the text and explains the text and applies it to the events that are happening around them. And, uh, uh, you know, the first text was in Joel chapter 2, and he used that text to explain that this is the end. These are the last days. This is the inauguration, the initiation of the Messianic age. And that means that the Messiah has come. The end times, the last days, have begun with the coming of the Christ, the coming of the Messiah. These days are here, and that is proven by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that you now see. The Holy Spirit empowering these people, these men and these women, to to explain and to speak the wonderful works of God in languages that they have never learned in languages so that all of you people gathered from all the nations under the earth into Jerusalem can hear the wonderful works of God in your own language, in your native tongue. This is that. The Messianic age is here. The last days are beginning. And so that means that the Christ must have come. Uh, Messiah is the Old Testament word. Christ is the New Testament word, meaning uh, 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 God's anointed one, God's Christ, God's Savior, God's Messiah. And so uh, I'll use those words interchangeably as I talk about the Messiah, the Christ, and uh, uh, mean the same thing. One is Hebrew, one is Greek. 
but that means that the King has come. The Kingdom of God has come, has been inaugurated, been initiated. The last days are here. That means the Christ has come. And then Peter uses the next two texts, the text from Psalm 16 and the text from Psalm 110 to show that Jesus is that Christ. The age of the Messiah has come, and that means the Messiah has come. And that Messiah is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ. And, that, and Peter builds toward his main point as he preaches this sermon using these three texts. And that main point is there in verse 36, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. So that's the main point. That's the proposition that Peter builds toward. And so this is an expository sermon exposing, explaining, and applying the text of Scripture to uh, current day events. But it's also very logical and very reasonable as, Paul, as Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, builds toward this conclusion. He builds a logical argument, a reasonable case, reasonable logical proofs that Jesus is the Christ. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit proves the age of the Christ is here. And Peter uses reason and logic in the Scriptures to show that Jesus is that Christ. And we've talked about three of those uh, points, those, those things that Peter uses to build as he makes this case, as he makes this argument. The first is Jesus' wonderful life that we read about in verse 22. Men of Israel hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst as you also know. Jesus' wonderful life is one of the ways that God demonstrates that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is Lord and Christ. The second way that God demonstrates that Jesus is the Lord and Christ is through His purposeful death, His wonderful life, His purposeful death. Verse 23, Him, Jesus, being delivered by the the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. And so the second way that God demonstrates, that God shows that Jesus is both Lord and Christ is through His purposeful death. His wonderful life, His purposeful death, and then third, His resurrection, verse 24, whom God raised up. God raised Him from the dead. And that point goes all the way from 24 to 32. The resurrection of Jesus proves, shows, demonstrates that Jesus is the Christ. And there Peter uses Psalm 16 showing that uh, uh, David, being a prophet, spoke about the Christ, that he would be set free from the pains of death, that it would be impossible for death to hold him. And so the, the resurrection of Jesus is the third way that God shows that he has made Jesus to be Lord and Christ. And today we'll look at the fourth and fifth ways. The fourth way that God shows Jesus to be Lord in Christ is through His exaltation. Verse 33, Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear, for David did not ascend to the heavens, but he said himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Set at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. 
And so in those passages, our text for today, we see the fourth and fifth ways that God shows that Jesus is Lord and Christ through His exaltation, being seated at the right hand of the Father, the right hand of God, and then having received from God and pouring out the promised Holy Spirit is the fifth way that God shows that Jesus is Lord and Christ. And so the sermon kind of ends where it begins. It began with Peter explaining the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, initiating and inaugurating the Messianic Age, the last days. And that outpouring of the Holy Spirit also proves that Jesus is Lord in Christ and that Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. Because this fourth point is a little different than the first three. You know, uh, Peter emphasizes in verse 22 that they saw His wonderful life. They saw His miraculous life. God attested Jesus of Nazareth to them through miracles, wonders, and signs. God did them in their midst. They themselves know they are eyewitnesses of His wonderful life. They can't argue with the fact that Jesus did miracles, that Jesus did things that they could not explain, that Jesus did things that demonstrated His power and His authority. And in fact, it was those very things that uh, made them certain that they needed to get rid of Him. That If they didn't get rid of Him, if He kept doing all those miracles, everybody in the world would believe in Him, and the Romans would come and take away their place and their power, so they had to kill Jesus because of His wonderful life, because of His miracles, because of the power and authority that He displayed. They knew that. They were eyewitnesses of that. The second point, His purposeful death. They knew about that because they had done it. (laughs) Verse 23, You have taken by lawless hands, nailed Him to a cross, and killed Him. And so they knew about His purposeful death because they were guilty. They were accountable. They were responsible. They had done it. And so they knew about that. So Peter's telling them, you know, you've seen His miracles. You put Him to death. And then the third point, God shows Jesus to be Christ and Messiah by raising Him from the dead. And guess what? There are 120 eyewitnesses right there. There's 120 people that have seen the risen Lord, that have seen Him alive after His death. 120 witnesses right there, 380 somewhere else in the country. But 120 right there, and the law only requires two or three. There's 120 eyewitnesses. There There is forensic proof, proof beyond any reasonable doubt that Jesus has been raised. And so the first three points are, are, are self-evident. You saw His miracle life. You put Him to death. Here are 120 eyewitnesses that He is risen. But number point number four, guess what? They can't see the exaltation of Jesus. They can't see into the throne room of heaven. They can't see Jesus seated in the place of power and authority at the right hand of God. They can't see the exaltation, and yet there is conclusive proof. And what is the proof? He sat at the right hand of God. He's received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He poured out now, and this is what you see and hear. So the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is proof of the exaltation of Jesus. Just as He promised. He would return to the Father. He would ask the Father. He would receive from the Father. And He would pour out the Holy Spirit on all of His believers. And the Spirit of truth would come and be with them and lead them into all truth. And so the arrival of the Holy Spirit, which they did see and they did hear, they saw the rushing wind, they saw the 
They heard the rushing wind. They saw the pillar of fire divided and rested on them. They heard each of the believers speaking in languages that they had never learned, the wonderful works of God. And that was proof of the exaltation of Jesus. And then the proof of the Holy Spirit they saw and heard it. And so, so the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is proof of the exaltation of Jesus. And so the fourth way that God shows Jesus to be Lord in Christ is by exalting Him to His right hand. Verse 33, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So now he goes to Psalm 110 and takes this Old Testament Scripture and he makes the same point that he made in, chapter, in, verse, in, in Psalm 16 in the previous verses. David said this, and David did not fulfill this prophecy in himself. David did not ascend into heaven, but his body is right here, rotting in the grave, just like we talked about last time we were together. David did not ascend into heaven, so David makes this prophecy not about himself, but about the Christ, about the Messiah that would come from his line according to the flesh. And this prophecy is not fulfilled in David, but it is fulfilled in the Christ, in the Messiah. And Jesus has been seated at the right hand of God. The arrival of the Holy Spirit proves it. Therefore, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. So he uses Psalm 110 the same way that he uses Psalm, 100, or Psalm 16 in the previous passages. David makes a prophecy that is not fulfilled in him, but is fulfilled in the Christ, and it is fulfilled in Jesus. Therefore, Jesus is the Christ. You see the logic, the reason that Peter uses in this sermon as he applies the text. And, uh, you know, listening to sermons is, is reasonable and logical and, and, and requires thinking. It's not something passive that you just do and you just get sermons uh, put on you. You follow the reason. You follow the logic. You look and see how these things are shown to us in the text. And, and so expository listening is as much work as expository preaching as you follow the reason, the logic, and look to see how those things are shown in the text and hold the preacher accountable to show you how those things are seen in the text. And so uh, it's reasonable and logical. And so, uh, so he uses this passage, Psalm 110, to say that David said, The Lord said to my Lord, Now, no Jewish father would call his son his Lord. That just wasn't done. You know, they had a very patriarchal society. They had a, uh, had a society that was rigid in its rank and privileges, and, and no Jewish father would ever call his son Lord. It was the other way around. The son would call the father Lord, Master, Boss, the one that was in charge. The father would never, ever call his son Lord, and yet David does. That is because the Messiah, the Christ, is not just the son of David by the fruit of his flesh, the fruit of his body according to the flesh, but the Messiah is also the son of God. God the Son. And David recognizes that even though this is his descendant, even though this is his child, even though this came from the body by the fruit of the, the fruit of his body by the flesh, that the Messiah, the Christ, was outranked him 
and that He was His Lord. And so David makes this prophecy that does not apply to him, but it applies to the Christ, the Messiah. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, the place of all power and authority, the place that is highly exalted. And so this prophecy was made about the Christ, and this prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus. Therefore, Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Peter makes this argument. He makes this, he makes this point, and he proves his proposition with this fourth point, that Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit that He has poured out now, and He's fulfilled this prophecy. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And so here we have the, the truth of the exaltation of Jesus. Jesus has been highly exalted. And He is seated at the right hand of God. The right hand of the Father. The place of all power and authority. The place of salvation. If we read through the Scripture about the right hand of God, the right hand of God is, is God demonstrating His power. Demonstrating His authority. Being the deliverer of His people. And as we'll see later, also being the judge of His enemies. And so Jesus Christ has been exalted seated at the right hand of God, the place of all authority and honor and glory and power and salvation in all of the universe. And so this is significant. The exaltation of Jesus is one of the ways that God has shown that He is Lord in Christ. And, and it also means a couple things. First of all, sitting down at the right hand of the Father means that the first phase of Jesus' work as Savior has been completed. He has made the once for all sacrifice for sin. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus, God the Son, the Son of God, became a man and lived a sinless life, but then God laid on Him the sin of every single person who would ever come to Him in repentance and faith. And Jesus made the once and for all sacrifice for sins. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus died a death He did not deserve because He paid a debt He did not owe. Because we owed a debt we could not pay. And so Jesus died in our place. He made the once and for all sacrifice. And as He was dying on the cross, He declared this in victory. It is Finished. Tetelestai is the Greek word paid in full. It has been finished. It has been done. The debt has been paid. And He died on the cross accomplishing everything that is required for the salvation of every one of His people. He sat down at the right hand of the Father because when He entered the heavenly holy of holies with His own blood, as we read in Hebrews chapter 1, there was no more sacrifice to make. There was no more offering to be given. The once for all sacrifice had been made in His blood. He entered, He made the sacrifice, securing, purchasing the salvation of every one of His people. And because there was no other sacrifice to be made, no other work to be done, He sat down because His work was finished. His work was done. He sat down at the right hand of the Father because His sacrifice was complete. You know, in the temple, in the tabernacle, we read, you know, 12, 12 chapters in Exodus talk about the building of the tabernacle, all the furnishings, all the things. You know what? There's no chairs because the work of the priest in the Old Covenant is never done. As soon as He makes one sacrifice, somebody in the nation's sin, another sacrifice is required. But not so with Jesus. 
He made the once and for all sacrifice when He died on the cross. He died for all the sins of His people, past, present, and future. No more sacrifices required. And so in the heavenly tabernacle, there is a place for Jesus to sit because His work is done. His work as the sacrifice is done. Second thing that that shows is the exaltation of Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. tells us that the Father has accepted His sacrifice. The Father has accepted His sacrifice. Jesus died on the cross to satisfy God's wrath against the sins of everyone who would ever come to Him in repentance and faith. And, and God has accepted that sacrifice. Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, left the glory of heaven, not considering the quality of God as something to be clung to, something to be grasped, but He made Himself nothing and became the form of a servant. There was nothing about Him to attract people to Him. He was despised and rejected. And He was obedient. He humbled Himself and became obedient even unto death. Even death on the cross. He was obedient even to death on the cross. The most agonizing, most dehumanizing, most humiliating form of death imaginable. Even death on the cross. But God accepted that sacrifice. And He shows that He's accepted that sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead and highly exalting Him. Seating Him at His right hand, giving Him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father shows us that the, the Father, that God the Father has accepted his sacrifice. He has finished the sacrifice. He's accomplished all that is required for our salvation. And He has... That sacrifice has been accepted by the Father. And, and He shows that by exalting Jesus and giving Him the place of honor and power and glory in all the universe. Giving Him the name that is above every name. Making Him both Lord and Christ. And so the exaltation of Jesus shows that His sacrifice is complete. That God has accepted His sacrifice. third thing that it shows us is that He has begun... A high priestly ministry. Uh, we saw it in Psalm 110 when we read it. What did, what did he say? He said to uh, the Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And he also goes on to that same, says, you are a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so he finished his sacrificial work, but now he lives forever to make intercession for his people and to be for us a sympathetic high priest. And so the sitting at the right hand of the Father shows us that Jesus has done everything that is required for our salvation in his sacrifice. God has accepted that sacrifice and now as our high priest, he does everything that is necessary to keep us saved. To hold us to preserve us. Paul says He ever lives, as He sits at the right hand of the Father, He ever lives to make intercession for us. And because of that, we can approach the throne of grace boldly with confidence that we will receive grace and mercy in our time of need because we have a sympathetic high priest. We have a high priest who is tempted in every way that we are without sin. And so we have a high priest that's able to help us when we're tempted. 
When we're tempted, we can approach the throne of grace in boldness and receive help and strength and direction to stand, to endure our temptation. We have the assurance that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able, and He will always provide a way out. And that way out can be shown to us by Jesus, who's sitting at the right hand of the Father, able to help us when we are tempted. So when we're tempted, we can approach the throne of grace and receive help and mercy in our time of need because we have a sympathetic high priest. And He's able to help us when we're tempted. And not only that, John tells us, you know what, we're, we're, we're tempted and we've got the resources to stand in temptation, but you know what, we don't always take advantage of those resources, do we? We don't always think about those resources. We don't always think about going to the, whole, uh, the throne of grace and receiving help in, in our time of temptation. Sometimes we, we fall. Every day. Many times every day. We fall. Paul, John says, I write these things to you that you might not sin, but... When you do sin, you have an advocate seated at the right hand of God. And when you approach the throne of grace having sinned, having fallen, having given in to temptation, you've got an advocate. You've got a sympathetic high priest. And if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Oh, we've got a sympathetic high priest, an advocate sitting at the right hand of the Father. For when we sin, they're ready to give mercy and grace and cleansing and to restore the relationship that was damaged by our sin. Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father means we've got a sympathetic high priest. He's able to help us when we're tempted and He's able to forgive us when we fall. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father doing everything that is required to keep us, to hold us. He died on the cross to do everything required to get us saved, and now He's sitting at the right hand of the Father doing everything that is required to keep us saved, to preserve us by His power to the last day. And so the exaltation of Jesus shows that His sacrificial work is finished. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. No more sacrifice to make. Shows us that God has accepted that sacrifice. He's been highly exalted, giving the name that is above every name. And He's sitting at the right hand as a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek so that we might approach the throne of grace with boldness and confidence and receive help and mercy in our time of need. To receive strength when we're tempted and forgiveness when we sin. The exaltation of Jesus proves that God has made Him Lord in Christ. Well, there's a fourth thing that's in our text that, mean, that it means when Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. It's right there in the text. Quote Psalm 110, verse 35, till I make your enemies your footstool. And so sitting at the right hand of the Father shows that Jesus will also return as judge. This image, making your enemies your footstool, is drawn from ancient combat. You know, if a general conquered an enemy army, if, if a general's army conquered an enemy's army, that general of the defeated foe would be brought to the victorious general and laid before the victorious general, and the victorious general would put his foot on the throat of the defeated general and would crush his trachea, would crush his throat, showing His victory, His sovereignty, His authority, 
His power over the defeated enemy. This is a graphic image. The generals would do it. The kings would do it. You would not allow your defeated enemies to live. They would not continue to be a threat. And so this is a vivid image of the authority of Jesus. You know, those men of Jerusalem, those men that Peter is clear to point out that they took by lawless hands, they crucified and put to death the one that God has risen and exalted, the one that they crucified, God has made Lord in Christ, they might have thought that they won. When they got one of His closest friends to betray Him, and they got that one to lead the Roman soldiers to the Garden of Gethsemane where He would be away from the crowds, when they were able to take Him and bind Him, and when they put Him on trial and secured an unjust, unrighteous conviction, when they blackmailed the Roman governor to hand Him over to be crucified, when they gave Him to the Roman soldiers who fastened Him to the cross and lifted Him up to die, when He bowed His head and committed His spirit to the Father, they probably thought that they had won. They thought that they were victorious. They thought that they had succeeded in getting rid of Jesus, eliminating this threat, destroying their enemy. That's what they thought. They thought they had won. They thought they had achieved a great victory and that they had crucified and put to death their bitter enemy. But Peter says, the one you crucified, God has made Lord in Christ. God has highly exalted Him. You executed Him. God exalted Him. And He's going to sit there at the right hand until He puts His enemies' throats under His foot and crushes them. So Peter says, you think you won, but God has exalted him. And a day is coming when all of his enemies will be his footstool. You think you've won, but when he comes again, he's not coming in humility, he's coming as judge. In fact, Jesus uses this image and that's what secured his conviction before the high priest. The high priest was questioning him and Jesus said in Luke chapter 22, you will see the Son of Man in power at the right hand of the majesty on high. And the high priest said, so you're saying you're the Son of God? And Jesus said, you say rightly that I am. And the high priest tore his clothes and said, we don't need any more witnesses. We've heard it from his own mouth. They will see Jesus at the right hand of the majesty on high. And if they persist in their rebellion, they will be crushed. They will be crushed by His wrath. And so Peter makes that very clear. And in verse 36, we'll see this next week. 
God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And God has exalted Him, and He's going to sit there at the right hand until God puts His enemies under His foot. And He crushes them. They experience His vengeance, His wrath. But as Joel has said, and as Peter says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus. Believe in His wonderful life, His purposeful death, His resurrection, His exaltation. Turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ and be saved from the wrath that's to come. There's mercy, there's grace, there's forgiveness, there's life in the One that God has raised from the dead. Turn! But if you persist in your rebellion, you will be judged. You will experience His wrath. He will execute vengeance on all of His enemies when He comes again. God has exalted Him. So Peter says that God has made Jesus, whom they crucified, Lord and Christ. He shows it four ways, five ways. Through His wonderful life, His purposeful death, His resurrection, His exaltation, and finally, number five, the outpouring of His Holy Spirit. The outpouring of His Holy Spirit, which proves number four and also proves the whole, the whole point. The Holy Spirit has come and He empowers His believers to speak the truth, to speak this gospel that God has exalted Jesus. And He will return as judge. He came the first time in humility. He will return in glory and as judge. And He will crush His enemies. But all who turn, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so the Holy Spirit comes and empowers His believers to speak this truth, to speak this gospel, the last thing that Jesus said before He, he ascended into heaven and was exalted at the right hand of the Father was, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. I'm going to ascend to the Father. I'm going to sit down at the right hand of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Father of the Majesty on high, the place of power and authority and glory. All power has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, you go and make disciples. You go in the power of the Holy Spirit and speak this Gospel. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you will be My witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so the Holy Spirit comes and empowers His followers to take this message, the exaltation of Jesus, the fact that He will return as judge, but during this messianic age, during these last days, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, even those who crucified Him, will be saved. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit and share this message. We talked about in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, that, that in, in, in his first account, Luke recorded everything Jesus began to do. And in the book of Acts, he, 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 he records everything Jesus continued to do through his followers in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit comes, demonstrating that Jesus is Lord in Christ, but the Holy Spirit also empowers empowers His believers to do their work, to do His mission. And so this, these last four points, the church, 
Their king is exalted. The exaltation of Jesus in the empowerment of his followers. The exaltation of Jesus in the empowerment of his followers as Jesus is shown to be Lord in Christ. So what do we do with this passage? What do we do with these truths? Well, number one, Jesus has accomplished everything that's required for the salvation of every one of His people, everyone that turns from sin and believes. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and His exaltation shows that His sacrifice has been accepted. And so there is no other name given by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus. And so today as we think of the exaltation of Jesus, and we think of the fact that His enemies will be, uh, will be made His footstool, that He will return in wrath and vengeance, we, we need to take advantage of this day of mercy and grace and cry upon the name of the Lord that we we might be saved from the wrath that is to come. That we might put our trust in the finished work of Jesus. That He died on the cross to turn away God's wrath from all who believe. And so maybe you're here today and you've never, you've never stopped trusting in your own self or in your works or in your religion or some ritual or ceremony and today the Holy Spirit is convicting you to cry out to Jesus to be saved. He's seated at the right hand of the Father showing that He is Finished the sacrifice. He's accomplished everything that's required for your salvation. He's seated at the right hand of the Father showing God has accepted that and made Him Lord in Christ. There is no other name by which you must be saved. Run to Jesus. Do not persist in your rebellion, but repent and believe in Jesus Christ. He's accomplished everything that's required for your salvation. And you're saved by God's grace through your faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. The second application that we see in this text is He's not only done everything that's required to get us saved, but He's doing everything that's required to keep us saved. And so, we need to, as disciples, as followers of Jesus, approach the throne of grace with boldness and confidence, knowing we have a sympathetic high priest. When you're tempted... We have a high priest that was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin, and He's able to help us. He's able to give us victory. He's able to help us stand, to give us a way out when we're tempted. The writer of Hebrews says we can approach the throne of grace to receive help and mercy in our time of need. We live in a time of need, a time of uncertainty, a time of temptation, a time of fear, and maybe even a time of despair. We can approach the throne of grace boldly knowing we have a sympathetic high priest at the right hand of God. Receive help and mercy when we're weary and burdened. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Maybe today you're weary. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're exhausted of living in such a difficult, uncertain world and, and, and you're burdened. And Jesus says, come to me. Your sympathetic high priest who shares in our weakness. Who shared in our weakness. Come to Him and He will give you rest. Maybe you've sinned and you need to know you've got an advocate, a sympathetic high priest at the right hand of the Father. Come and confess your sin and receive the cleansing that He provided for you on the cross. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Approach the throne of grace knowing you've got a sympathetic high priest, you've got an advocate. Confess your sin, be forgiven, be cleansed. And, and, and you know, we need to be about battling sin in our life. We need to conquer sin. We need to put sin to death. Not because it will make God love us more, because He can't love us any more than He already does in Christ Jesus. But we've got to battle sin, we've got to put sin to death because we have a sympathetic high priest. 
And we want to give Him glory. We, we, we don't battle sin so that God might love us more. We battle sin because God loves us and has given His Son to set us free from the power of sin. So we need to battle sin and come to the throne of grace in the day of temptation and come to the throne of grace to receive forgiveness and cleansing. Approach the throne of grace boldly. Because Jesus has been exalted at the right hand of the Father. And then the next application... He sent out the Holy Spirit to empower us to share this truth. This glorious truth that God has made Jesus Lord in Christ. That there's no other name by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus. That we have a sympathetic high priest who left the glory of heaven. Accomplished everything that's required of our salvation. And he's now seated at the right hand of the Father doing everything that, uh, to secure our salvation. And during these days... These dark days, these difficult days, these days of despair. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And the Holy Spirit empowers us, strengthens us, equips us to share that message. We need to be faithful to share the Gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. To make disciples of all nations, telling them, if you persist in your rebellion, He will come as judge. But now... During these days of mercy, during these last days, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We have an obligation and a duty and a responsibility to share that message. That's part of loving our neighbor. Tell them the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and to plead with them to be saved. Jesus is exalted. His church is empowered. Let's pray together. Lord God, we stand humbled before Your Word. God, we see Your majesty, Your glory. We see the exalted Jesus, the risen Christ. Power, authority, majesty, glory, might, and gentleness grace, mercy, kindness, forgiveness, cleansing. Lord, we stand before a wonderful Savior. So thankful that You have shown us Your love and Your grace in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we pray that You would grant us the grace to approach Your throne of grace to receive whatever it is we need. Strength to stand in temptation. Mercy and grace. Wisdom. Forgiveness. Cleansing. Thank You for a sympathetic high priest who seated at Your right, seated at your right hand to give us everything we need to stay in Your grace. And so, Lord, grant us the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to boldly approach Your throne to receive what we need each day. And God, we thank You for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And may You give us opportunity to speak this truth. We pray that You would make it fruitful and effective. Lord, we pray that Your Spirit would help us to grow in our maturity, to grow in holiness, to grow in godliness, to grow in knowledge of truth, and to grow in the ability to speak truth 
with compassion, with gentleness and respect. That You would give our church a testimony that is attractive to unbelievers in our midst. And Lord, that You would add to our number those that You are saving. Send us out in the power of Your Holy Spirit to be Your soldiers. To be Your witnesses. To be Your people. And we pray that You grant us victory for Your sake and for Your honor and for Your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, we're going to conclude our service with hymn 658. Same tune.